Welcome to the Pop-Up Pod, a podcast that's similar to a pop-up shop or a pop-up restaurant in that it's sporadic. Sometimes it's here and sometimes it's not. Each 12-episode season dives deep into a single question. And our question for season one is this, should I get married? 12 episodes, 12 different people, honest conversations about the joys and struggles of long-term romantic relationships. I'm your host, Nicole Antoinette, and today I'm bringing you the final episode of this first season. And who better to interview to close out this 12-part conversation on marriage than my own partner, Tom Grossmith, who many of you know by his trail name, Gent. In this conversation, we answer a bunch of listener questions that came from my Patreon community, questions about money, kids, conflict, jealousy, alone time, and of course, marriage. We also talk too much about our dog, (laughs) but I hope that you enjoy it. Big thanks to the folks who made season one possible, the 400 plus people in our Patreon community who have come together to ensure that everyone involved in this 100% listener-funded show gets paid. That includes me as the host and creator, my sound engineer and musician, Adam Day. Hi, Adam. Thank you for all of your brilliant work on this first season of the show as well as payments for every single one of our guests. And our Patreon community also funds the creation of a full transcript for each episode, which you can find linked in the show notes to help make these conversations more accessible. Those are our production ethics here at the Pop-Up Pod. And if that aligns with your own values, then I would love to invite you to come check out our community, help support the creation of season two and all of that good stuff at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. It's a really fun and easy and welcoming space. And remember that it's run on a sliding scale. So that means that you can pay whatever amount makes most sense for you, either as a monthly payment or an annual payment, moving up or down the sliding scale as you need to over time. And you'll get access to lots of thoughtful monthly bonus content, the chance to help shape the topics and the conversations of season two later this year, and more. So one more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. I would love to see you there. In a moment, we will dive into the conversation between me and Gent, and then the show will be on hiatus for some months in service of its name, The Pop-Up Pod. We popped up, we were here, there was a 12-episode season one, and then there will be months where there are no episodes. And then later in the year, maybe late summer, early fall, mid-fall, I don't know, we'll see. Depends how long it takes us as a community to decide on what the topic's going to be for season two and for me to start to put together all of those episodes with a new round of beautiful guests. Then there will be 12 more episodes exploring a totally different question, and then we will pop back up pop-up pod, sometimes here, sometimes not. Hopefully in the time off, you can listen to any episodes that you might have missed. I know that these are long, juicy conversations and not everyone is listening to you know an hour and a half podcast each week. And so my hope is that having cycles of rest built into the show is really nice, not just for me as a creator, but also for you as a listener. Okay, that's enough for me. Here we go. All right, babe. What do you think? You want to make a podcast? Yeah. Take two, though. 
Take two. Yeah, we we recorded for 45 seconds in which the dog was aggressively licking herself, and I wasn't sure if it was loud enough to pick up on the microphone or not. And my banter was deemed inappropriate. I I didn't say your banter was inappropriate. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Do you regret this? Do I, what, inviting you onto the podcast? Yeah. I feel like, because obviously you came on my past podcast a couple times, I feel like in the first three minutes I always regret it, and then I'm glad that we did I'm a it. bit of a wild card. <laughs> oh, God. I'm podcasting's bad boy. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Do you regret it now? Uh, I'm regretting it more and more as okay, we go along. Okay. Yes, I'll podcasting. Okay, the dog's just staring at us. I feel like potentially I'm too distractible to have a dog in a room while podcasting. Not so. me. Not you, yeah. You're I'm not. I'm undist- I'm... You're the most distractible person I've ever met. Um, Do you want to answer some questions? Sure. So we got some great listener questions from folks in my Patreon community. From you folks. From you folks. From you wonderful, beautiful listeners. And we can't get to them all, but I picked out a bunch that seemed like multiple people asked them. And we're just going to, you know, talk about our relationship under this heading of Should I Get Married, which is the theme of this season. And I feel like it's only appropriate to have the last episode of the season include the person to whom I'm asking that question about. So so great. In the next like hour of this podcast, we're going to decide whether or not we're going to get married. Are you ready? Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. <laughs> yes, you're ready or yes, you want to get married? <laughs> yes, yes, a thousand times yes. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so the first question to kick us off um, says, what did you each want out of a romantic relationship when you were a kid? How about when you were a teen and in your early 20s versus now? I'm curious how that has changed and evolved over the years for both of you. I don't think I really gave much thought to romantic relationships as a young person. I never really was like, like I had crushes and stuff like that, was never pursuing a partner in the way that other kids seem to be, even in in high school as I got older like again there were people that I crushed on but there was never really anything that solid that I would say I was like pursuing relationships or even putting that much thought into what I wanted out of them um I had a lot going on in high school outside of romantic relationships that I was I was more focused on being severely depressed through those years. Sure. So <laughs> not not that I'm laughing at that. I'm laughing at the idea of being focused on. I was it. like so my top focused. priority was being really oh, depressed. Man, it was a grind. One one of the interesting things now that we live in the town that you grew up in mm-hmm. is that like we'll be out at the grocery store or something, and you'll be like, "That's such and such." I had a crush on her in yep. second grade, yep. and I think. I've moved around so much, and I can't imagine what would have to be true, A, for me to recognize someone that I went to second grade with, right? Like, I just, it would just never happen. And then to even be able to remember I had a crush on that person, and then that we were in a scenario where you could get introduced to that. It's, yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild. Yeah, but it it's, it's happened in not insignificant amount of times where you're like, oh, I had a crush on her younger sister or, yeah. you know. It was her older sister, for the record. We were okay. out for breakfast the other day, <laughs> and... There was this family coming through the line, and it was two parents and a daughter. I was like, oh, my God, I had such a crush on her older sister. Mm-hmm. That's true. You did say that. I did say that. Yeah, a scintillating Verbatim. breakfast conversation. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Wild um, stuff. We should have recorded that. We, really? Yes. Li- live podcast yeah. all the time. Um, oh, my gosh. The dog is just sighing in the background. Ah, speaking of that um, tangent that 
tweet that you found that you oh, showed yeah. me that says what is it what did it say my dog sighs a lot for someone who doesn't contribute anything to this household or know what a government is yeah <laughs> gracie sighs a lot for somebody who does not contribute to this household and doesn't know what a government is that's true ah <sighs> what did i want when i was a kid i mean i feel like this is an interesting like gender split a little bit probably that i mean I watched a lot of the kind of Disney princess happily ever after and was so indoctrinated into that being a life goal, the finding your one person and getting married. And I don't, I don't remember a time where that wasn't on my mind. It's not like I was like, okay, and now I'm, now this is going to be a goal right now. This is an aim of mine. But I think it was just always in the back of my mind that like, that's what success looks like. That's what adulthood is. That's what happiness is. And that was true when I was a kid. That was true when I was a teen. That's, you know, in my early twenties, obviously. And then up till getting married, I think it was something that I was always really focused on. I actually feel like I'm less focused on it now on the other side of divorce, like having gone through checkbox, 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 get to the pinnacle that you're supposed to reach. And then, okay, that didn't work out. Maybe I need to step back and like reevaluate what I have been told about marriage and relationships. Also in my early twenties, I again, didn't focus on it because I was like working a ton. And then I was working like 60 hours to 80 hours a week through my early twenties. And then hit a certain point was like, I hate this. I no longer want to be doing this. Then was taking off months at a time of work and like traveling. And at the time hadn't met anyone who also prioritized that or was living kind of a non-traditional lifestyle and not just like two weeks of vacation a year. So again, didn't give it much thought that I was content to do my own thing and happy and Honestly, didn't really see myself in a long-term partnership, like projecting forward from then and just didn't put much stress on it, really. Yeah. I mean, well, also you, you mentioned like sort of jokingly, but obviously it's not a joke. You were severely depressed. And so, you know, recovering from that degree of mental illness and you didn't go to college and lived with your dad and were working not just full-time, but multiple full-time jobs with people who were all decades older than you, that from what you've described to me, there weren't a lot of opportunities for you to organically be meeting people that would have been even remotely appropriately aged partners for you. Right. Yeah. Right. A lot of the people I worked with, especially in town here, I went to school with their kids. So like they were full grown adults who had established relationships that I certainly was not going to be there tag along and like, we'll find someone for Tom kind of thing. Like, uh, yeah. Do you ever remember a time where dating was something that was a priority for you or that you were trying to put effort into? For a little while, um, when I was about, when I was like 24 or something, I was prioritizing a little bit more and then. Meaning what? Like dating apps? Dating apps, seeing a couple people like former flames, rekindling stuff, and then really went hardcore on not spending time locally, meaning Massachusetts, and was like six months elsewhere, six months back in Massachusetts, which for most people that doesn't work well for a relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think 
I was just going to say very few people. I don't know how true that is, but I think we're definitely in the minority of the type of life that we want of, yeah. you know, traveling so much and prioritizing that. Yeah, definitely. The next question is partially for me and partially for you. It says, curious what you learned from this season's guests. Did Gent listen to the episodes? And if so, what did he take away from the season? My mind works in mysterious ways. I listened to the first episode of this season. Shout out to Melissa Fabello. We love you. Shout out Melissa. If you're listening, I I don't know. I don't know where that was going to go. I was going to say, yeah, you you backed yourself into a hole there. You have nothing to say. I most of the podcasts that I listen to are very easy listening, like drift in and out kind of stuff because my mind is all over the place. So I just kind of have a hard time listening to podcasts that are like legitimately meaningful. I enjoyed the first episode quite a bit and took a lot out of it, but at the same time, it's just not my yeah. No, this is not your genre of media at all. And I mean the. I am not upset by that. And also we've talked about that quite a bit. And, you know, it's not that I'm passive aggressively, you know, my expectation is that you listen to these two hour episodes, right? I mean, one of the interesting things, because this is so meaningful to me and takes up such a big part of my brain space, I'm often, whether it's, you know, we're on a walk or over dinner, I'm telling you about, oh, I interviewed so-and-so and and we talked about this. And so it's like, I feel like the topics kind of make their way into our relationship that you're not consuming the con, like the finished product of the content, but we're still talking about the issues. I get the listener's digest version (laughs) of it from you essentially of after you record, we'll go for a walk, we'll have dinner, we'll cook, whatever it is that we're going to do together. And I get a rundown essentially on what the conversation was, what was meaningful and impactful to you and I'm very happy with that. Yeah. As far as what I learned from this season's guest, I mean, I feel like that could be a whole other that could be a whole other episode. Doing this first season has been incredibly impactful for me in a couple of ways. I mean, this was and is a selfish question. Like this is a conversation that we had been having for months of do we want to get married? What does marriage mean to us? It was something that was really on my mind. And so to be able to have the opportunity to be so nosy to 11 different people and actually get the honest behind the scenes details about their lives, their marriages, their heartbreak, their having kids or not having kids, I feel really grateful to have been exposed to that. And also, I feel like my main takeaway, it wasn't from a particular episode, but from the season as a whole for me was the reminder of something that I already knew to be true, which is there's so many different ways to do relationships. And I think it's really easy to get stuck in a normative script of, you know, this person is my partner and therefore it has to look like X, Y, Z, and this is what the relationship has to be. And I don't believe that that's true. And I know you don't necessarily Mm -hmm. believe that that's true. And that's something that we talk about a lot is building our relationship with intention. But even still, those scripts and that conditioning is so deep and so prevalent that it still comes up. It still comes up. And I feel like there was at least one moment in each of the episodes this season that almost like shook me awake out of that of, oh, right, I could do this. Like thinking about, you know, in episode two with Evian Whitney living in a different city from their partner, intended from their husband intentionally for a year, right? And in episode one, when Melissa talked about the bucket exercise, um, which I love and I'm obsessed with, and if anyone hasn't listened to that, go back and listen to episode one, high recommendation, that it was just my takeaway was the reminder of we can do whatever we want with mm-hmm. our relationship. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about that? I do not believe so. Okay. Let's talk about marriage. That's what these next two questions are about. Ooh, cornered. 
not yeah right corner you that's what this is about with you. <laughs> what did you what did you think i don't know okay uh this question you started this podcast because you're genuinely unsure how you feel about marriage but how does gent feel about marriage in general and then also for him and why i feel pretty neutral about it um I feel I'm currently happy in our relationship. Why mess with it? Marriage makes it really difficult and complicated to break up. Um, And expensive, potentially. Yes. My parents didn't have an awesome marriage and are currently in a whole weird... In a whole whole thing. Yeah. In an an interesting relationship. Your parents also have their history in their relationship, and I figure, why complicate things? Why not just, if we're happy now, mm-hmm. I don't need to get the law involved to say, oh, they, they do love each other and care about each other. Here's the legal proof. Yeah, um, I'm just happy to be with you in this iteration, and that's what I care about. Obviously, I feel the same way, right? This <laughs> Spoiler alert, this podcast is not the first time that you and I have had this conversation. No. What do you think would change that for you? Like, are there a set of conditions in which you feel like marriage would be a definite yes? I think I would start thinking more seriously about marriage if there was some kind of illness involved or something like that to make things easier for, God forbid, someone's in the hospital or something like that where, unfortunately, the only way that you're going to have access is through marriage yeah. that, you know, I know a couple who were not married. They were together for like 40 plus years and one of them was ill and in the hospital and their partner wasn't able to come in and visit them and wasn't able to make decisions for them. And things happen fast, unfortunately, but I think if there were signs of illness that that would probably be a thing that we would do. Well, I mean, we've talked about how some of that stuff like some of the institutional privileges of marriage you can get through other legal paperwork. And, you know, my understanding is a lot of that health stuff you can do. And I know that on our long to-do list of moving into this house and fixing things up, you know, later this year on our list is let's sit down and figure out how much of this we actually can do without getting married, which I know we're both interested in, you know, seeing like what the protections are for that kind of thing. But it's funny, I almost feel like the more that I think about this, topic. And the more that I have these conversations, the less that I want to get married. And not because anyone's, you know, really sharing horror stories. Like, I mean, just in these, you know, past 11 episodes, there have been some beautiful stories and some really long-term marriages and things that are so beautiful. I think for me, it's just, I haven't yet landed on a good enough reason to do something that has, as you named, a lot of potential downsides especially as someone who is already divorced, right? So I obviously don't believe marriage is forever because I didn't do that already. Yeah. And so I'm just kind of thinking, like I, I, I'm almost curious to see how we feel in the coming years that is there something that I feel like our relationship would would feel different on the other side of marriage? I don't know that it would. Neither do I. And kind of going back to the first question about what did I want out of romantic relationships throughout my life, I never thought I was going to get married. Like I just never, even in thinking about myself in a long-term relationship, I never 
there was never the draw to get married for me. I never understood why that was the pinnacle of a relationship. Um, right. Or the relationship is only successful if you're together until one of you dies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, I mean, do you attribute that to your parents not having what you consider to be like a happy marriage? I think that plays a large part of it. Also, like growing up, seeing friends whose parents were getting divorced and why make it more complicated than it needs to be? Why not just be together mm-hmm. and let that be enough? Is there any part of the ritual around having a wedding or, you know, that aspect of marriage as, I don't know, more of like a commitment ceremony or the more public declaration of moving your relationship to another level that's appealing to you? Having people gathered for my wedding seems terrifying. Um, I don't want to be the center of attention. I don't want parties thrown in my honor anymore. Right, so Used everyone to be listening, all I cancel ever the wanted. parties. Yeah. yeah. Like I think about what my sister and her husband did. Uh, they eloped. They went to Justice of the Peace's office, got married. I tell everyone not only was I not invited, I was specifically told not to come because I asked where it was and she wouldn't tell me. And I totally respected that she didn't want anyone there. I would never in a million years have shown up. But after that, my family had a very small get together, aunts and uncles, cousins with some food. And that was it. And I would be very happy with something like that. But never in a million years would I want a traditional wedding. Yeah, same, same. There is something, though, and I can't quite put my finger on what it is, but I do like the idea of marking a relationship transition or, I mean, especially, and we'll get to this in some of the later questions, like we got together so soon after I got divorced and I wasn't in a good mental health space. So it's like, we don't have a, this is our anniversary. Or, you know, when I look back to the beginning of our relationship and not anything to do with you, like I was really unhappy. And so I don't look at that as a really joyous time the way that I think a lot of people do when they think about kind of the honeymoon phase of the beginning of their relationship or courtship. We started dating and everything was so great. Right. The like new relationship energy and the rose colored glasses. And there is something really beautiful about that. And Mm -hmm. our story is more complicated. And so there is something for me that I like the idea of, I don't know, not that we couldn't just pick a random anniversary, we could, but having something that was ours to celebrate but yeah, thinking about, and now I've organized this party where everyone's going to fly in. Like I, there, I mean, Paul and I eloped when we first got married. Like, I didn't want that the first time around. You lost me at organizing. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, between the two of us, I would Is, be the Do we one. have like a rim shot button? Right. <laughs> no, could... we don't have sound effects. Yeah. You can make your own sound effects. Great. How about that? You should not have said that. Okay. Uh, you, you can make sound effects with <laughs> approval. Okay. Right. You can request approval okay. for sound effects. Um. So yeah, I could see us potentially doing something like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm also aware of the fact that in general, when you get married, your relationship is seen as more legitimate Mm -hmm. and I don't care. Like that doesn't bother me if there are people that are kind of like, oh, what are those crazy kids doing? It it doesn't bother me. No, but at the same time, there have been a couple occasions in which I have been like, that's my wife's thing. Give me the keys. What? <laughs> I'm sorry. That as a standalone sentence is so no, weird. No, no, that's not gibberish or T- weird. Tell me, tell me, I, I'm learning about this for the first time. When do you secretly refer to me as your wife? There have been instances on trail, like picking up a resupply box or something where it's easy for me to be like, can I also have the one for Nicole Antoinette? That's my wife. And people trust you if you're married. <laughs> right. You which can is, do anything wrong. You're married. Someone else trusts funny you. funny because we don't sound like we have the same last name or anything. No. But it's, yeah. Um, 
That's interesting. Good good to know. Also, mm-hmm. that's totally fine. I mean, yeah, let's take advantage of the system. Right. If people are going to be more likely to mm-hmm. do stuff for us because mm-hmm. they think that we're married, that's chill. That's fine. Okay, so the next question or the other question in this section, there's a couple questions per topic. So the second one for marriage is, I'm curious what it's like to have never been married and to be committed to someone who has gone through divorce and isn't interested in a super conventional marriage. What's that like for Jen? I mean, I know we just talked about that a little bit, but anything else you want to share? It's kind of like super neutral. Once you hit a certain point, it is a safe expectation that your partner has been partnered with someone else to some extent. The relationship that you and Paul have together, I'm completely comfortable with. There is no jealousy or weird feelings. There's a whole category about that. There's a whole, the Paul category of questions. There is, there is. Um, Do you feel like, this isn't one of the questions now, I'm just, this this is my question. You're riffing. Yeah, I am, I am riffing. I'm going off script. Uh, Do you feel that you're missing out on anything that I had this whole experience that if we never get married, you won't have? No. Just flat now. Okay. okay. Yes. Was there any aspect of like the proposing to someone? Was that ever a fantasy of yours? Like, is there something in that that you like? Because I see of all of this, that being the thing that you'd be into. I love love. You know that about <laughs> me. Um, I always thought it would be like cute and stuff. And then the more I think about it, like kind of why? I don't know. Like a proposal should never be a surprise. Surprise. The act of like when and where should be a surprise, but there should never be like, a, oh my God, we've never had a conversation about marriage and now this guy has a ring out in front of me. Now what? So I think more as my feelings about marriage have become more solidified, my feelings about a proposal have become much more lukewarm. Yeah, that makes sense that it's like taking it out of whatever kind of romantic fantasy stage it is. Right. You know? Um, yeah. Anything else about marriage specifically that you want to talk about? Eh. (laughs) So so in conclusion, we're both like, eh. I may not have been the best guest for this. I'm not an expert. I only play one on TV. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Um, I do think that it's interesting that we are at this place where we don't really have strong feel. Like, we're both kind of like, eh. Right. You know, it's not that if it made sense to do it, I'm not like vehemently opposed to it. I don't feel like really strongly anti-marriage. And I still feel, you know, when I have friends that get engaged, really excited for them because I know that it's something that they want. I'm just, whatever that thing is in me that used to feel like getting engaged or getting married would make me feel more complete or more anything, it's just not there. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're already living in sin. Right. Oh, my God. Let's talk about money. That's okay. our next category. Um, this person asks, I would love to hear more about money, not sharing finances, and navigating shared expenses. How do you guys divide up who pays for what? So I guess some background that, yeah, we don't share finances. I feel very strongly about that. Even if we were to get married, we would do a prenup for sure. We would keep separate finances. I feel so lucky that my divorce was smooth and we were on the same page because we had all joint finances. And even still, it was logistically challenging to get out. I mean, I'm still on his mortgage. We're doing another round of paperwork now to get me off it. You still legally own his home. I mean, hopefully hopefully by the time this airs, that won't yeah. be the case anymore. I mean, and he's getting remarried right, right. later this year. Right. So it's- And the, opted to not have me 
do the service. You did. You did offer. You offered several times. Yes, that you're I was ordained. Heavy-handed about it. You were. You were Ham-fisted <laughs> could be the phrase. Yeah. Um, what were we saying? Money. Uh, that yeah. My desire to have my finances completely combined with someone else is absolutely zero. And I also think an overarching theme with both of us is we really appreciate our independence. Mm-hmm. And I have hobbies that you're not interested in. I have friends that you have no interest in being friends with. Not that they're bad people. It's just that you don't want to be friends with them. And that's totally fine. And I respect that. I'm very open with you about how much I make, what I do with the money, all of that stuff. I'm not hiding anything, but also why do we need to intertwine Right. Also, it? it's none of my business. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I mean, at the, at the time of this recording, I'm a couple weeks out from leaving to hike a big portion of the Appalachian Trail that I'm going and you're staying here. And obviously we talked about that decision as in so much as it relates to us as a couple, right? And I'm mm-hmm. going to miss you and what's our communication going to be like? But we never one time had to talk about the money aspect of it. Like I'm spending my Where's money. Where's this money coming right, from? Exactly. Yeah. Like you, you don't have to worry about so that. So I'll go to work and pay for you to be on vacation? No, yeah, there's none well, of that. But that not, I mean, obviously I know you're joking with that tone of voice, but that was an issue with Paul and I, not an issue, but I did it feel has, guilty. It's a conversation anyway, or a thought that is had. Yeah. And I, I really agree with you on how much I value my independence. I actually didn't know how true that was until getting divorced and working so hard to build my business up from a part-time thing to something that now supports me full-time and that I feel like so proud of the fact that that's true. Mm-hmm. And I never want to have to, not that I ever felt being married that I had to ask permission to spend money because that's not how it is, but I really like that I just do whatever I want with my money and you do whatever you want with your money. And mm-hmm. as long as we can pay for the things that we are sharing together, that is my only right. concern. Right. I spent my money on those magic beans. What magic beans? I didn't tell you about those magic oh beans. <laughs> oh, I'm glad that everyone's seeing what it is that I, what I deal with. Um, navigating shared expenses. You want to talk about that? Um, so we used to have a spreadsheet system. And Shocking when I say, to anyone who knows When me. I say we, I mean you had a spreadsheet. A very simple spreadsheet, two columns. I had a column, you had a column, and every like week or so, we, we would, would sit down. You know, what it, I spent this at the grocery store, I spent this, and it would just kind of tally up over time. And if any of us was like really ahead, like if we had paid for a hotel room or something like that, we would Venmo the difference. But usually we would just kind of keep alternating spending until it was equal-ish. Yeah. We've since graduated from that, and we now have a joint credit card, and then you just go through it. I Venmo you my half of it. I trust that your numbers are accurate, and you're not <laughs> right. yes, doing great. sketchy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is the extent of our shared and finances. And that's our yeah. shared finances. And we only got the shared credit card because we were moving into a house together. Yeah. And they're, you know, between like furnishing the house and having utilities and all of that, it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. to have a shared credit card. But I don't know about you, but that is the extent of shared finances that I'm interested in is yeah, this same. shared credit card. Same. Um, you know, and we're working on doing what's called a cohabitation agreement, which is essentially a prenup for non-married couples. And I was, it's funny, I was talking to my mom about it earlier today about that. And she had never heard of that before. Is that being a thing? I hadn't really heard of it either until I started researching what the options were for people in our situation. And describing it to someone else made me realize that maybe it is kind of rare to do that. But again, after having gone through a divorce, like I would much rather have talked about these things in advance and 
it's a lot easier to make clear-headed decisions that are respectful to everyone involved mm-hmm. when you're not in a point of emotional crisis or breaking up. Definitely. Yeah. <sighs> Do you have different income levels, this person asks? And if so, what is it like to navigate that? We do have different income levels. I hate work. Blanket (laughs) statement. Everyone who's listening thinks he's kidding. He's not. It's not that I hate my job. It's not that I hate the people I work with. I hate working. I hate exchanging my time for money, even though obviously it is necessary. I would much prefer to be doing my own thing at all times. It's so interesting to me to hear you talk about this. I also feel like it's pretty refreshing because I think that this is a thing that in a lot of ways we're not supposed to say, right? That like you're supposed to build a lot of your identity off of your career. Mm -hmm. And I don't even see you being someone who identifies as having or wanting a career. No, I don't want a career. I don't want to be in charge of anyone. I don't want to be in charge of anything. I want to clock out. I want to go home and I want to not think about work or have anyone call me. Ever. Yeah. And it's interesting knowing, obviously knowing you as well as I do, that you're so incredibly talented in so many areas and, I mean, a harder worker than pretty much anyone that I know. So none of this is reflected in like poor job performance or not having all of these skills. It's just you want to use the skills to do your own thing. Yes. And I don't half-ass my job. Like if I'm there, I'm doing my best at all times. If that's not good enough, so be it, but I am doing my genuine best at all times if I am at work. So that's so that's the context that you're giving for this right. income question. Right. Let me know where I can drop my resume. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, generally, I, I don't care for work. I'm currently working three to four days a week. I'm making okay money for the time that I'm putting into it. It's not the most money I've ever made. It's not the least amount of money I've ever made, but it is enough for me. And it's especially enough for me because it gives me three to four days off a week, which is more important to me. And especially since we've moved, we moved into a house that was built allegedly in like 1840-ish. Allegedly. Is it is it really a house? Who it's knows? allegedly a yeah, house. Right. Yeah. Um, what is anything? So it has been nice to have a lot of time off right now because like it requires a lot of effort and to work to have yeah. this house totally. in the condition that I ultimately would like it to be in. So routing back to the original question i probably make like twenty thousand dollars a year if that i don't think that's true i think you make more than that you know it's it's also funny that you don't that neither of us really know i have no clue because it fluctuates so much also you've taken such a big portion of the last however many years off yeah but also you've sold a van each year right so it's like you take this big chunk of time off and then you sell a van for twenty four thousand dollars so what i should say is based on my current wages at this current job, punching in, punching out with the hours that I'm working, it's probably like $20,000 a year is what I will make if if I continue this trend. If I don't build another van and sell it, that's what it is, probably about $20,000. So definitely not getting rich. Yeah. Um, And I definitely make more than that. Yeah. Yeah. But but also look at our situation, I'm, right? I'm rich in my free time. Yeah. Well, and also uh, like the a large degree of this comes from the like family wealth privilege that you oh, yeah. have that now I have like proximate access to that all of the time that you were like in years past when you would prioritize, you know, work just as much as you needed to to make the money that you needed to go travel and do other things, yeah. you were living with your dad. Right. And, you know, that house is paid for. So right. not having to pay rent as obviously I just lived with your dad for 14 mm-hmm. months and didn't pay rent. And that mm-hmm. is, and now we're living in a house 
that your dad also owns where we don't have to pay mm-hmm. rent. And so I feel like you and I are both able to right now make decisions where, of course, money is important and we want to be, you know, putting away money for the future. I know that's something we both care about, but not having to pay rent or mortgage is an unbelievable financial privilege. Oh, yeah. yeah. That lets that happen. And also, sort of tying back into my general distaste for work is it's not that I'm lazy. I don't want to do anything or that kind of stuff. It's, I like to be busy, but I like to do my own thing. Yeah. You want to clear out the barn at our new house and put in a pottery wheel and like have a wood shop and yeah, make things. I don't want to be doing Zamboni maintenance in my time off. That's what I do at work. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. So I feel like we just like bounced around a bunch, which is fine. And all of this is part of the context, but navigating the different income levels. How do you feel about the fact that I earn more money than you? Totally fine about it. Yeah. And also the fact that neither of us really knew that. You're like, I think I make this much. It's like funny that we don't really talk about it, yeah. I guess, to that degree. I'm not worried about paying my bills. Like, I don't live a huge lifestyle. All the things that you just said about having, not having to pay rent or anything like that. Essentially, it is a early inheritance. And then I do the upkeep. Mm-hmm. Pay the taxes, pay the bills, all of those things and do the upkeep and then don't have to pay rent. Well, and that's also been a part of our, you know, when we were talking earlier about navigating shared expenses, that we had a lot of conversations that I was really glad we were on the same page about in moving into this house. Because yes, this is our home together, but this isn't my house that, you know, your dad owns this house, right? So your family owns this house. If you and I were to break up, this is still going to be your house and I'm going to have to move out and figure out something else. Mm -hmm. And so the conversations around what feels equitable for us to split, what makes sense for us to pay for individually and kind of where we landed on that was structural things for the house. Like the house needs a new roof, things like that Mm -hmm. you're paying for, you and your dad are paying for, you know, we split furnishings, that type of stuff. We each paid individually for the furnishings in our own bedrooms because we don't have shared bedrooms. Um, And I'm happy with where we landed on that, but it definitely is an ongoing conversation of what does it mean to live together in a home that you share but don't co-own? And that for me has been interesting because I felt like when Paul and I bought our house, we were 100% only able to do that because of his salary. Mm-hmm. Like I was I was never considering home ownership. Also, my family never owned homes. We lived in apartments in really big cities my whole life that that wasn't the same way you said you didn't think about marriage. I never thought about home ownership. That wasn't like a mark of success to me. It just I mean, I grew up in Manhattan and in London, you know, to, to be to have the money to buy a home in a place like that, like that's just wild. And so when we bought a home, I felt really acutely aware of the fact that that's not something I could have done on my own. And that's fine. It's not like we have to all always be doing, you know, something on our own. We are, you know, better in community, but I felt like it was mine, but there was always like a little part of me that was like, well, is it yours? And it's been interesting. This is why I have a therapist talking about that stuff like really came up in the the couple of months before we moved into this house for me of like, I'm only being able to move into this house and have access to this through proximity of a partner's like generational wealth, essentially. And do I feel secure in that? It's just, and there's no right or wrong answer, but it has been interesting emotionally for me, the like tying together of housing and partnership, if that makes sense. Yeah. Also kind of going back to income of without being as fortunate as I am in like generational wealth, there's no way that I'm affording rent. There's no way that I'm affording a mortgage. There's well, no you way I'm getting made approved for a choices. mortgage. But those are the things of 
I think instead of that, it's, I would have bought a bigger van and been living in that full yeah. time. Yeah, well, that, that's what I mean. You would you have know? made different choices. That it's like right. how we we have to pull the threads back to you know you got on this the path that you were on because of what you knew and had access yes. to and what your earning needs were. I mean, that was same thing for me moving into the van or just keeping my lifestyle really small over the you know these last couple of years. Same thing, yeah. right? I would have made different choices. You know, had I out of college gone into a more traditional job and like that path was available to me and I chose not to take it. And so you kind of adjust as you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a conversation with my boss last week or something and talking about the amount that I have been working. And he pretty much said, if you don't have to, why would you? Mm -hmm. Like if you have a roof over your head and food in your stomach, why work more than you have to? And it was really refreshing because he's someone who has worked full time since he was 18 years old, multiple jobs, and is now in his 50s. I mean, it, it's also it's interesting this conversation about navigating different income, which is a totally fine question. But I feel like there's even more nuance and complexity under this. I mean, in general and specifically for us, like I think about this house project, right? So our best guess is that this house was built in the 1840s. So that alone. What? Our best guess as of right now. The town does do this thing where they'll the historical look society, up the history yeah. of your house, figure out when it was built, any notable things that okay, were so people done. who are on the edge of their seats about the history of our house. Stay tuned. Right, TBD. Um, but so any house that was built that long ago, of course, is going to have ongoing work and projects. Oh, yeah. And then the the people who were living here, um, like the former occupants of the house, kind of destroyed a bunch Did of stuff. Did not appreciate the house for what it is. Right. That's the nicest way to say uh, what he has been saying. They trashed uh, it. Yeah. And so there, it has, it was really, I mean, it was a, like a full-time job getting this yeah. up and running. And we had a bunch of interesting conversations because the type of skills and talent and like craftsmanship that were required to do these projects are things that you have, that your dad has, that not only do I not have, but I don't really have any interest in. And then, you know, we had conversations of this part of the project, if it were up for me, like I would just pay someone to do it. And that A, wasn't on the table, right? Like that's like blasphemous to you and your dad. Not don't say that around the Grossmith men. Yeah. You should pay someone to do yeah. that. Oh my God. <gasps> I know. I'm clutching my pearls. Exactly. And I am wearing pearls. And, but that's the difference. Like, I was very much raised with parents who, I mean, we would have called someone for everything. And also, if you live in an apartment, you're pretty much not allowed to do things. So even right. if you have the skills to do it, it's like you call the landlord, mm -hmm. they take care of it. So if there's any problem, you're not liable for whatever the damage right. is, right? It's like just a totally different mm -hmm. mindset. And so it's been really helpful for me learning from you that it's like, how much of the money that, you know, I would have needed to earn, let's say having my own place, being able to hire people to do the things that you have the skills to do that like, it's, it's like, what is wealth, right? Obviously, of course, money is necessary. We live under capitalism. But when you just said like, you have a wealth of time, you also mm -hmm. have a wealth of skills and a wealth of knowledge that saves so much money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when people talk about that, like upkeep costs for a house, they're going to be so much lower for us than they would be, I'd say, for like the average American family. Yeah. Um, so, just painting this place would have cost like $10,000. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you're going to redo, you and your dad are going to redo the roof yourselves, yeah. like painting the outside of the house. Yeah. Yep. So I feel like we went really deep into that. Um, outside of electricity, I feel as though I can do it all myself. Yeah. That, might, that's the thing you would hire for? Yeah. Because I don't want to die with electricity. <laughs> Great. Um, but beyond that, like I'm confident that 
even if I don't know how to do it right now, I can figure it out. It might take a little time. It might not come out perfect, but I believe that I can do it. I mean, even just like, of course you, you have built out the vans. There's like the carpentry aspect of that, but it's like you, you know, get new brakes in the car. There was, you know, something going on with the vehicle. You hear the weird noise. You do the thing. Like so many things that I would have spent money on that I haven't spent money on because, um, right. I would rather frustrate myself endlessly in these things instead (laughs) of pay someone else to do it. That's true. That's true. You would rather do that than have to trade your hours for dollars at work. Yes. Yeah. Great. Um, let's talk about kids. Okay. There's only one question. Ah, it says, since you don't want children and you two seem to be in it for the long haul, I assume that at least right now, Gent also feels similarly about kids, but I'm still curious. How does he feel about having children? Is he also child-free by choice? Why is that? And was it always like this? I have never, ever, ever wanted kids. It has never been a question in my mind. Do not want. Was there ever a time that you thought you just kind of assumed it would happen because, quote, that's what people do? I was always adamant I do not want kids. Why? It just never appealed to me. I, again, value my free time quite a bit. You have, like, no free time as a parent. And that's totally fine if that's what people want. And But I just never wanted that. I never saw that for myself. And then especially once I started working less and traveling more, I was like, you can't lug a kid around and do this stuff. You can't. Or, like, you could, but it's a whole different adventure. Yeah, exactly. And I just wasn't interested in that. I feel like one of the things that we have, you and I have learned that we have in common that maybe we didn't realize when we first got together was is how selfish we both are in this regard. And in a way, I think that, you know, selfish is used in a negative like pejorative context and it doesn't need to be but we both really really value our time autonomy like i want to be able to do what i want to do when i want to do it obviously that's why i work for myself Mm -hmm. right and you know we have had off-air conversations about what it would be like for you to build up a woodworking business or to do more of the like van conversion stuff as a job right like there you obviously have lots of possibilities but that was always it for me too with kids yeah that like i'm not willing to give up that degree of freedom. Mm -hmm. And I feel grateful that it's such an automatic answer for us that this isn't something that we have ever grappled with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Gracie is laying on the ground, having some kind of dream and twitching and being very cute. Did you ever think that I would fall in love with a dog? Yes. I mean, you would, you would have to be a stone cold psychopath to not fall in love with Gracie. <laughs> yeah, but I'm so not a dog person. Everyone's a Gracie person. Yeah, she is pretty great. Um, and even that, having Gracie part-time. Gracie. Yeah, having Gracie part-time. Man, your dad really has welcomed me into this family. Here's, come live with me for 14 months. Don't pay rent. Here's a home that you and my son can live in. And also, I'm going to let you take my beloved dog part-time. Yeah. So this, also, is, this is now just a Your Dad Appreciation podcast. Yeah, I guarantee he never in a million years would have assumed that I would be in a long-term partnership and he would be as close with my partner as you two currently are. Say more. Why do you think that? I would say that this is a pretty non-traditional relationship in that regard of like, mm-hmm. you and my dad are pretty close. I mean, I've spent more time with your dad in the last couple of years, I feel like then collectively I've spent with my parents since I moved out at age 18. Yeah. I mean, obviously living together will do that. Right. But I don't know. And even now we only live a mile down the street from my dad and it's. <laughs> and that you, you do have a second job. You're the dog taxi. Yeah. I'm the dog I, taxi. Because I don't, one of the main reasons that you and I don't share a room for people who don't know is, 
I mean, A, we like having our own space, but I really, really, really don't sleep well in a bed with anyone else, and that includes animals. And so for me, I want to know that no one else is alive at all when I when it is bedtime and your dad sleeps really poorly without her. So I get her for a lot of the day and then you dog taxi her I back. I shuttle and her bed. back and forth. <laughs> Tom Grossmith dog taxi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else about kids? Do you think okay, here's a question. Do you think that your parents are disappointed that we're not having kids? I think maybe a little bit. I don't think like they've never said anything. They've never guilted me. They've been very respectful about my decisions in that regard. Um, but I do think that they would have appreciated a grandchild from me. Mm-hmm. At least your sister has a kid, so they're not completely out. But yeah. I mean, I think same. I mean, you know, my parents, especially my mom, have been re- really supportive of my choices. And 100% they wish I was making a different choice. Yeah. You know, so I think that that, that both are true in that regard. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about conflict. Let's talk about Let, conflict. I don't want to talk about conflict. It's, 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 it's We're too already conflicting. Doing it. Uh, what conflict comes up for you over and over again if you have one? That is this question. Um, when we were reading through this list beforehand, this was the one that we bumped on. Like, we don't have a lot of conflict in our relationship, I also, feel. conflict sounds like such an intense word, but I know, I know what the question is referring to, right? Like, I'm, I'm really forgetful. I think that's a thing that we maybe bump against or that you maybe have frustration with. I'm also incredibly frustrated by it. I would say that's maybe some kind of conflict that you and I have in our relationship of my – I'm a bit of a liability. <sighs> I mean, I think that's, like that's a stretch. Bringing stuff places. <laughs> right. Did, did you remember this thing that you went to the store for? No, but you came back with these other three things. Yeah, right. Let's think about this for a second because it's like obviously we – I don't want to be that person who's like, we never have any conflicts. I don't mean it's it all in that. smiles. That's not true, but we don't fight. But that's true. I, I don't know if you would categorize yourself this way, but like that's true of me in general. Like I am not someone who fights. Like I will have the deep conversations and sometimes those conversations feel really hard or scary or frustrating or emotionally vulnerable. But I fighting has never, ever, ever been my style. My only memory of fighting with partners was while drunk. Yeah, I'm I'm not much of a an arguer. I feel like our biggest conflicts come up when we're both really depleted at the same time. Yes. And we I mean it happens a lot around dinner or around like okay, what's for dinner, mm-hmm. you know, and are you going to make it? Am I going to make it? And that that's that's like an easy example to talk about what I want to talk about if we've both had really, you know, intense work days or were feeling particularly tired or run down or, you know, there was a, a a stretch of time this past winter where both of our mental health was not great at the same time. And that was the first time that it ever happened. It was either you were having a hard time and I was feeling pretty great and so could pick up the slack or vice versa where I was having a hard time and you really took over a lot mm-hmm. of that stuff. But I think that was our first experience of we were both doing poorly at the same time. And that was really challenging. And I think, you know, when we're depleted and we just keep like punting the things back and forth, that can create conflict, I think. Yeah. And I feel like conflict is a bit of a heavy term for it. We're not angry at each other. We're not fighting. It's just we're bumping up against this thing. We're at an impasse more than a conflict, which I know probably is by definition a conflict, but I'm not like upset with you or anything like that about it, any of it. I think that we're pretty good at talking about the things in real time, like as they come up. Yeah. But 
yeah, I think our biggest source of conflict is if we both let ourselves get too depleted and poorly resourced at the same time. I'm good at that. Yeah. (laughs) I'm real good at overdoing it and depleting myself. I mean, same. I think in different ways, right? That I think, um, and that's, that's been hard. The other question in this category is, are there patterns either of you learned growing up that clash with the other person's kind of patterns or way of operating? I wouldn't say it's a clash, but sort of what we were talking about earlier of why wouldn't you just pay someone to do that? Like never in a million years would I assume like I'll have someone else come in and paint or I'll have someone else come in and sand the floors. Like I can do it. I've got the stuff to do it. Mm-hmm. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And it's not a thing that we clash on, but it is a we way were brought up differently. We were yeah. brought up differently. It's a way of life for me of you have the tools. You can do this. Whereas you have not been that way. Yeah. And I think that you rightfully so get frustrated with, I don't want to say like how quickly I give up, but with things like this, I just default into assuming that I'm not going to be able to do it. And I think that that you get frustrated by that. I very much do get frustrated by that because you're a very smart person. And even though you might not be mechanically inclined, there are a lot of things that you can learn even if it's not your natural inclination. And I do think that you give up a little too quickly sometimes on things. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. I definitely think that's fair. Under the like patterns that we learned growing up from my side, so one of the main reasons that I started seeing a therapist again towards the end of last year was to work on my experience of essentially being put in the position to like parent my parent when I was like, 14 years old. And, you know, I don't need to go into all the details of that, but that sort of learned behavior of parentification, you know, being the parent, being in charge, minimizing my own needs to take care of other people's needs, feeling like I need to be the one who remembers, okay, well, did you make the doctor's appointment? Or did you do like all the kind of things that you would typically associate with a parent does that for a kid? I tend to replicate that behavior in my intimate relationships. And I think that that has come up. Um, I've seen that come up a little bit with us where I will almost feel resentful of being in that role when you never asked me to be in that role. It's just that that is what I default into because it was, you know, 23 years or whatever of conditioning. And so it's been really useful, not that the pattern changes overnight, but it's been very useful for me to get my own therapy about that. Yeah. And now Gracie's scratching Gracie's herself. got an itch. She's got an itch. I'm, sh- I'm, sure, I'm sure people are loving our asides about Gracie. Um, anything else about that that you want to talk about? I don't think so. Okay. The Paul category or the Paul. former partners category. How does Gent feel about your relationship with Paul? Was it weird for him being friends with your ex, especially early on in your relationship? You know, it's funny. I don't know that I have ever referred to Paul as my ex I don't, I don't know that you have. That term makes me feel really uncomfortable. Um, Like I'll always say my friend or my former spouse, but anyway, yes. So how do you feel? Was it weird for you early on? Paul loves me. (laughs) He's stated it publicly. He shouted it in the streets. Do you want to actually tell that story? Because, well, there's the real story and then there's what you have internalized to be that he said, I love you. There's the real story and then there's alternative facts. Yeah. Oh God. (laughs) On today's episode of Joe Rogan. Stop. Um, Yeah. We were doing something as a group. The four of us. The four of us. You and me, Paul and his partner. And I was going in the car with his partner, Kelly. And Paul shouted from his car to her, to me, uh, correction, to me, I love you. 
I said, I love you too, Paul. And eye rolls, all the things. Paul loves me. Yeah. So that was, you have, you've taken that on as your. He shouted in the street. I love you to me. And not then, to the person you were standing near. Not to the person he's, that I was that standing near that he is going to get married to. <laughs> yeah. He was shouting it to me. And I took that and ran with it. You did. Hardcore. That's, that's true. Classic that's, fashion. That is very true. Um, but what was it like early on, honestly? It, it was fine. I, I don't really know how to put it. Um, I like Paul. We get along well. We have things in common. We text every once in a while. Yeah, you tease me. We the other tease day, oh my God, you. The other day. Yeah, so, okay, so something We'll that put the picture in the show notes. We will not put the picture in the show notes. Um, something that most people probably don't know about me, unless they have seen me open my mail, which is very few of you. Um, I, Hopefully. I, right, exactly, yeah. Um, I tend to hulk open things like i will just like rip it open like the package or the envelope is in like 10 pieces like you open things as if you work at a confetti factory what do you mean like you're just shredding it oh i'm just sure, yeah. ripping okay. it all up. so that's how i open things and it used to make paul crazy and now you, like what, what was it the other day i was opening something i like hulk opened a pizza frozen box. pizza boxes you open them from the middle <laughs> No, I did you you had the pizza, didn't you? I did, but it was just a mind blowing. Anyway, way to so open it. he's just like sort of surreptitiously taking this picture and he's texting Paul the picture of me opening these things, mm-hmm. like guess who opened this? And they're both like dragging me in the text message that I'm not even <laughs> You're on. You're saying this as if it was like a long ongoing thing. I sent a picture to Paul saying, Guess who opened the pizza boxes? And he responded with what the actual fuck End of communication. Yeah. Okay, fine. But that's not the first time that you have. No, that's true. That's true. That's um, true. But I like that. I like that um, you you have that relationship. Yeah, and I like Paul. Also, I mean, and he we, loves me. We, <laughs> you have it on record. I only like him. He loves me. Sure, 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 sure. Um, you're working for it a little hard here, babe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I just ripped my shirt stretching, yeah, reaching. Re- reaching. Reaching. Reaching for Paul's love. Yeah. Um, I also think that you know, all joking aside, we were really, all of us were really intentional and slow about integrating this relationship. Like when Paul and I got divorced, we were thinking of it as a transition to a friendship, which doesn't mean we were best friends overnight. Like, of course it was sad and hard and there was a lot of grief and things to get over and there were phases, but my intention was always that we were going to have that relationship. And he knew that you and I were going to try to start seeing what was there between us very, very soon after I moved out. And so like he and I had a series of conversations about that. You and I had a series of conversations about the fact that like, you know, I care about you and I want to start this partnership with you. And like this other person is always going to be a really important part of my life. And like, that was never something that I was willing to compromise on. And you never asked me to compromise on that, Um, which, you know, which I appreciate. And I think he's been really welcoming to you. I agree. You know, you, it's all things considered, I feel like incredibly grateful for the way that it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you and Gent had to navigate jealousy around past partners? Nope. Do you, so say more, do you think that's because you're not a jealous person or that we've had so much communication around it? Because, I mean, obviously, Paul's not the only of my past partners that you've met. I'm not really the jealous type. I feel like this whole episode has me like bordering on apathetic that like you've been with people i've been with people it is what it is it would be more concerning if 
there was some veiled feelings there Mm -hmm. that I felt we weren't being honest about or something like that. But I feel we're very honest about how we feel about people. We're very honest about what that person means to you, that it doesn't doesn't strike up any jealousy feelings. Yeah, I also think a big part of it for me is because we have, from the very beginning of our relationship, had an ongoing conversation about do we want to choose monogamy and what does that look like? And obviously, so far in our relationship, we have continued to choose to practice monogamy, but that that's not a given. I think, excuse me, at least for me, it leaves space for us to talk about things that maybe would cause jealousy in other relationships Mm -hmm. because you wait so long to talk about it or you try to hide that you feel that way, right? Whereas I feel like we have made space, and I'm really grateful for that, like to talk about those things earlier on. Yeah. This last question in this part, how did it feel for Gent to enter a relationship with you so soon after your divorce? Which I think that, I mean, this is a good question because as I alluded to earlier, like I was a mess. Yeah, there was definitely a grieving process. I just gave you your space, I felt, and was there if you needed me. And would leave you alone if you needed to, although maybe I wasn't so great at that. I I just tried to be there for you and do whatever I could. Did you ever have the feeling of, ooh, maybe we should wait? No. I don't know. I gave you the space to feel the way that you felt about what you were going through. And I knew what I wanted. And What do you mean? Like with us. Yeah. And... And I didn't want to wait for it. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that way too. I felt like what was sort of sparking between us was interesting enough to me and compelling enough to me. And, you know, we had a really strong friendship beforehand that there was so much mutual respect. Like, I I don't think that I would have gotten divorced and been like, and now I'm getting on a dating app, right? Like, I don't think that I would have made the choice in that state to seek out dating or partnership, but because we already knew each other and you had been such a good friend to me and we were both on the same page of there's something here, we want to explore what that is, but I was very honest about here's where I'm at and like, mm-hmm. here's what I have the capacity mm-hmm. to give and not give in this relationship. And I think had we not known each other really well, that it would have, it wouldn't have worked out. It would have been a mistake because like, had we met on a dating app and I was like in this, you know, like deep grieving process, you would have been like, this is not for me. Right. Like had I been trying to date, I don't think that I would have been actively looking for newly divorced women. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, like you had met Paul by then, like you had already yeah. established a relationship like this. It was a unique enough situation yes. that I think that we were both willing to be like, let's be patient and see, where see what goes. happens. Yeah. 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 So the last category is about alone time. Um, The first question is, what does alone time look like for both of you, and how often do you feel like you each need or desire it? So alone time for us is interesting because at work, I don't get alone time, and we have defined alone time as if you're at work, even though you may technically be alone, it's not alone time because you're not doing whatever it is that you want to do. It's not restful. It's work. You work by yourself. I work with other people. So I'm an introvert and being at work drains me like in a social way. Whereas you are at home working Predominantly alone. by yourself. Yeah. So you recharge via interaction 
And I don't. Yeah. So this could been, have been something that came up in the conflict section too. The this idea of like you get home at the end of the workday after having been really social and you want to shut down and be by yourself. And I've been alone all day and I'm like, play with me. But I would say that we've moved past the point of conflict with but this because I we've had the conversations and we've an issue. yes, it, it certainly was an issue for a while. We've not been so great at it as of late for different circumstances, but. Like once a week, it's nice to have an alone night where like where it's preset. So there's no decision fatigue, because I think something that we struggle with is like we love spending time together. And so like one or both of us is like, "Hmm, but we could be together. Like there's never a time where I'm like, I actively don't want to be with you. So therefore I want alone time. It's like I wouldn't be unhappy being with you. And that sort of pushes me to not take as much alone time as I need. And so I think that's something that we've gotten a lot better at in the last like year and a half Mm -hmm. is being willing to be like, after dinner, I'm going to go to my room and like, I'd like some alone time yeah. tonight. We're asking each other, hey, babe, do you want alone time tonight? I'll come home from work. We'll prepare dinner together. We'll eat together. And then alone time. It was Wednesday nights was was the night because I, for a while, was working weird hours yeah. that Wednesday night was going to be it for me. That yeah, we had decided Wednesday nights would be alone time. Come home from work, make dinner, eat dinner, and then... Mm-hmm go our separate ways for the evening. Which also really helps to have our own spaces in the house. Yes, it does. To have separate bedrooms. It's really nice. That's also been really nice too, especially in this new place of like, our bedrooms are decorated very differently. Like we each have different styles. Mm -hmm. We have different preferences as far as like lighting. Some are decorated. Right. Some there is a bed in the room. Right, you just have a bed and my room is like completely finished. But also that speaks to our personality too, where I'm like, I need this to be, you know, a cozy living space. It also speaks to like our different priorities and things like it's not that I don't want a decorated room. It's not that I'm happy with like a minimalistic, only a bed and like a couple things up on the wall. I have been prioritizing everything else I feel. Yeah. And then at some point I will come around to doing my room. Yeah, no, absolutely. But yeah, the, the alone time thing has been a work in progress for sure. The other question in this category is, um, like that, uh, you, meaning me, Nicole, have shared how you agree to not default all non-work time to couple time. So I'm going to provide some context on that. Um, I used to feel in past relationships that there was sort of this expectation, and no one ever said it. It's maybe it was like a conditioned thing that if you weren't already scheduled to have plans with somebody else, that just all of your free time was defaulting to couple time. You're going to watch Netflix together. You're going to do something. And it's been a very intentional pivot away from that for me of like, all time is my time. All of your time is your time. And I shouldn't expect access to all of your free time that if we didn't live together, we would have to make plans. Do you want to come over for dinner? Mm -hmm. Do you want to go on a breakfast date? Do you want to go on a hike, right? That just because we live together, I don't want to assume that I just have access to all of you. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that still comes up. I have to like remind myself, oh, actually, like he can just be on his phone. That's fine, right? Um, But so then this question is, how do you manage the specifics of not defaulting all non-work time to couple time? Do you have standing days? date nights? Do you ask each other, you know, how much, ask which days or times you want as couple times, or is it more fluid? I think you are good about asking if I want alone time. I think also you are better about asking about it than I am because I am someone who probably needs more alone time than you do, but it's not super fluid. I feel like it's nice to have the define, okay, tonight's going to be my night where I watch the Simpsons and Mm -hmm 
don't do anything or it's nice to have a defined. But I do think that it's fluid in terms of it's responsive, right? Like if you've had a particularly intense day or if I had that, you know, to say like, oh, you know what? I'm feeling like I would need, uh, you know, I need some alone time now. And also, I mean, as I'm about to go out for like a month or two month hike, you're going to have plenty of alone time. Right. Mm. Yeah. I will miss you. I will miss you. One more question. Someone asks, Nicole, I would love to know how moving to Massachusetts has been. Was it a compromise? How did you two get to this decision? You're such a mass hole now. Is that what we're called? That's what we're called. Mass holes. Like Massachusetts assholes? That's not very mass nice. Mass hole. Do I have to be that? Already are. Uh, it's true. I have a driver's license. Okay. Well, I'd like to put that up to the committee. I don't know that I consent to well, being called that. Um, you've already become a much more aggressive driver. <laughs> Oh my God, people here are so, you if you don't go the moment the millisecond the light turns green people are on the mm-hmm. horn yeah um that not me not you i not a mass hole nope. i an oregon transplant mm-hmm. um how did we get to this decision well i mean i was living in the van in 2020 it was a pandemic everything in oregon was on fire and i needed a place to live and your dad was like hey come move in with me and so that's how i wound up coming to massachusetts uh and then you know throughout pandemic years we split our time between being in the vans and being with your dad but even through that whole time we were kind of talking about where do we want to live what city do we want to live in yeah so there was a bit of an incident in september that well, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Okay. Hang on. That I was saying throughout those last couple of years, like we were having a lot of conversations of, oh, we've heard Asheville's yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. We've heard this, like that we were starting we looked to, at places we a little bit. At, yeah. like, started to think about where we might want to live. Mm-hmm. And what we kept coming up against was the financial reality of, if you think about like the three things that are maybe our like core financial priorities, hiking and traveling as one having some kind of housing because we knew that we didn't want to do the van thing forever and then being able to like put money away for the future, mm-hmm. right? Like obviously want to enjoy our lives now yeah. too, but like those three things together, I always felt like it would be two out of three, that it couldn't be all three. I could either put money away for the future and hike, which is what I had been doing because I wasn't paying rent and living in the van, or I could pay for housing and put money away for the future, but I wouldn't be able to hike, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, And we kept circling around to where can we live that's going to be affordable, that we're not all of a sudden going to have to work so many weeks a year mm-hmm. in order to be able to afford to live there, basically like to be house poor. Yeah. And so that, I think we were both in that situation of like, how do we have the things that we want? And then, so I think the two things that happened that made moving here make sense were, were number one, living in this house became mm-hmm. an option and it's an unturndownable offer yeah. to have, to not have to pay rent or a mortgage and to have this like beautiful permanent space. Mm-hmm. And this is the town that you grew up in. All of your family is right. here. You didn't really want to leave combined with, now you tell your story. My dad broke his back, hip, right, couple ribs, pelvis, and a wrist. collapsed lung, partially head collapsed lung. Yeah. wasn't wasn't that okay, bad. Okay. It was partially only partially collapsed. collapsed. Head lacerations. He, yeah, yeah. He took a really bad fall a couple days after we had been in Colorado for the Colorado it was Trail. Like three days. We had after been home for three days, home. and he took this horrible fall. Was yeah. in the hospital for days, and I mean, the amount of caretaking that he needed was. I mean, immense, as you can imagine, with that. Um, So go ahead. Yeah. Um, My sister and her husband had recently had a daughter, so were plenty busy on their own. Didn't need... I mean, no one one needs to be taking care of an ill parent 
but they didn't have the didn't like have the time resources, right? It, and they yeah. both work more traditional jobs, yeah. right? And they had a young baby. And so, I mean, you had planned to come back here and go back to work and didn't because you were full time taking care of your dad. Yeah, I was I mean, not. I, I was helping, obviously, yeah. but, you know, the degree of you're going to shower him and do like the things yeah, that I would have done. Yeah, it was not an easy autumn yeah. for me. And so I think that, you know, that also maybe got him thinking, hey, it would be nice to have them closer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that what you were going to say? Yes. Yeah. But, and you wanting to be around too. Yeah. You and, know? you know, living with my dad for so long, our relationship has its rocky sections and everything. But like, I genuinely love my dad. And I, even after we've moved out, I see him almost every single day. Yeah. Dog um, taxi. They dog taxi. Yeah. I mean, so, and the question was how moving to Massachusetts has been for me. I think that it has been... It's been a couple things. I'm incredibly grateful for this housing situation, mm-hmm. right? And it feels really good to be setting up something that feels more rooted and permanent with the van without me feeling trapped and house poor, right? That, you know, we just moved in, whatever that was, like a month ago, and not even, and I'm about to leave to go hike it, right? Like I can have both. So that's yeah. incredible. But I will say, you know, I don't have any friends here. I have some friends in like the greater Northeast because of the pandemic. I haven't really been in a space where I felt comfortable prioritizing going to things where I would make more friends that I'm hopeful maybe this coming fall and winter, I will be able to prioritize that because living in a place where I don't know anyone is not sustainable. Right. So I think that, that for me is, has been the downside, but I'm excited to be here. Also, I mean, after three years of a lot of impermanence where I was using Paul's address as my address, he was like opening and like scanning and like emailing me my mail. Rifling through your mail. Right. He was, which I was so grateful for. That was sent to your home. Right, right, my home that I was on the mortgage for, but that everything was all spread out, yeah. right? Like this address didn't match this thing, didn't match this thing. And like now having done all of the admin to just live in one place mm-hmm. and have my billing address and my mailing address be the same, mm-hmm. um, it feels really good. Good. Is there anything else you want to share before we go and make dinner and feed this dog? I want to see if we can get her on mic. No, I mean, no, let's not do that. Oh. Okay. We're not, no, we're not, we don't need to try to make Gracie make sounds. I figured she would just sniff at it or something. She probably would just sniff at it. Um, you can try in a minute and then, and then maybe we will cut it. Um, but so where, where are we at on this? We're not getting married yet. We no have, kids. No kids. I hate work. No kids. He hates work. We love Gracie. I'm happy about the house, but feel lukewarm about Massachusetts, but maybe that will change. I think that it will. Um, we're not sharing money. Was that it? And we might or might not get married. <laughs> and I would like an anniversary. Yes. Great. Fabulous. Right. Um, thanks for being willing to do this with me. Of course. I'm always delighted to have you as part of my projects. Yeah. And I mean, I know, like we said at the beginning, you don't like listen to the podcast, but I feel like it's really special to be able to share my work with you in this way. And I'm grateful that you're game for it. I love you. I love you. Are you really going to try to get Gracie on? Okay, go ahead. All right, here we go. Here we go. Gracie. She's, she's just sniffing it. This isn't, this is good podcasting. Is it, is this what they teach you in podcasting school? Yeah. Oh my gosh. You have to get her like all riled up or something. No, oh, she just sniffed at it and bumped it with her nose, and that's it. So everyone, that's you I like just that we're, met we're ending season one of the pop up pod with my dog, the my my halftime dog, my partial dog, bumping her nose on the mic. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, we are done. Yeah. Um. Do, do you want to share your Instagram or? To, I always ask people like, where can someone find you? But I feel like you don't really do stuff on the internet. Yeah. Eh. 
Yeah, you can find him on my Instagram right. for sure. Yes. My GoFundMe is no, not stop. on that GoFundMe. Oh my God. You don't. You, you of the generational wealth do not need the GoFundMe. Here's the thing. I'm racing Leadville Mountain Bike 100 in August. The Leadville 100-mile mountain bike race sidebar, he has never done a bike race before and bought his first mountain bike for this. It's not my it's my first new mountain bike. Your first adult mountain bike. Yeah. Yes. But we're super excited he's going to be doing this race. I am raising funds for the Lifetime Foundation. And the link is in my Instagram. It so now is you're going to have to share your at Instagram. Tom Grossmith. The money goes towards giving... It's like lunches for kids and like yes, food for kids, right? like good, healthy meals for kids. If you feel so inclined, if you are able to do so, please make a donation. If not, no big deal. Any amount helps. And thank you. There you go. You had a thing to yeah, show that. I have a platform. You, <laughs> you do. You have a platform. Uh, okay, let's go feed ourselves and this dog. Thanks so much for listening to this very first season of The Pop-Up Pod. All of the intimate and honest conversations you'll hear on this show are 100% listener-funded, paid for by my sliding-scale Patreon community. That means no ads and no sponsors, just a couple hundred people coming together to ensure that everyone involved in making this podcast gets paid. That includes me as the host and creator, my sound engineer and musician, Adam Day, as well as every single one of our guests. The Patreon community also funds the creation of a full transcript for each episode, which you can find in the show notes to help make these conversations more accessible for all. Those are our production ethics here at the Pop-Up Pod. And if that aligns with your own values, I would love to invite you to come check out our community at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. It's a fun, easy, and welcoming space. You also get access to lots of bonuses. And remember, it's run on a sliding scale, so you can pay whatever amount makes most sense for you each month, depending on your circumstances. That's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And hopefully, I'll see you there. <laughs>